Hi, this is Michael O'Connell uh, of It's All Journalism. I'm just putting a little disclaimer here at, at the beginning of this episode, my interview with Ryan Whalen of Spectrum News. We have a conversation about the election, and uh, this was recorded before President Trump was diagnosed with uh, coronavirus. So uh, <laughs> a lot of the things that we talk about may be viewed in a different light uh, these days than they were when we uh, conducted this interview. So enjoy my interview with Ryan Whalen. I think this will be the strangest election night of my lifetime. Generally, when we're covering an election, we're sitting there hoping that the ballots will come in quick enough that we're not there until one o'clock in the morning. We're just going in knowing that's not going to be the case this year. It's safe to say whatever experience we've had covering a presidential election up to now, it's probably not going to prepare us for election night 2020. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Ryan Whalen is a political reporter for Spectrum News in Buffalo, New York, where he used to sit next to one of our show's producers, Amber Healy. As a reporter for the company's New York's nightly political show, we thought it would be a great opportunity to talk to Ryan about the 2020 campaign and what's it like covering an election. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing okay. So first of all, you know, we'd like to find a little bit about background of the people we talk to. So tell me, you know, what got you interested in journalism and, and, and uh, political journalism in particular? I don't remember when I first started deciding I wanted to be a reporter, like uh, a lot of young men, I think it started with wanting to be a sports reporter on ESPN, but that changed quickly. Went to Syracuse University, got out of that very expensive school and started serving tables and bar backing and eventually got a job as a photographer at a station in Rochester, which moved me to a position where I made less money in Montana. And then uh, back to Buffalo, where I've been here for almost a decade now. Cool. So how'd you end up covering politics? That's a good question. I think you sort of just fall into what you end up working on. So I just happened to be in Montana, Helena, the capital there, and uh, was covering a lot of politics there because there's basically two things you cover in Helena, wildfires and politics. So they'd have session once every two years. When it came through, you went in and basically got there at seven o'clock in the morning, talked to all the lobbyists, talked to all the politicians, figured out what the story was for the day, and then went back. And then I thought maybe I was done with politics when I came back to Buffalo, covered a lot of everything, general assignment reporter for probably five years. But it turns out that a lot of what I was covering was politics. And so when a, a job came up, when they wanted to expand our political show out of Albany and into Western New York, uh, it seemed like a natural fit. And I was lucky enough to get it. So what's covering politics like in Buffalo? It is a very interesting political scene, I think is the best way to, way to put it. It is a lot of small town politics and a lot of big time politics jammed together. So you'll get things that are very important on the national scene. You'll get things that are very important on a small scene and you'll get a lot of just really sort of strange things because Democrats aren't Democrats, Republicans aren't Republicans, conservatives aren't conservatives. Everybody's sort of their own thing in Western New York. Yeah. And that's something, you know, when I was working in community news here in Northern Virginia, that's one of the things I noticed is that 
like a Virginia Democrat is is not a Democrat by any other much uh, definition. A Montana Democrat is different than a Tonawanda Democrat, right? Yeah, no, it, it's funny because everybody has these sort of preconceptions based on, you know, the political, the national political scene, the certain expectations. But once you get down into local politics, it's very, very different. So I take it in that time in covering politics that you've covered some elections. Tell me about some of those experiences. I think 2016 had to be the most interesting election because everything was up for grabs on the Republican side still, and it looked like we might have a real primary in the New York side. It didn't turn out that way, but we still got to see a ton of candidates come through. So I was able to see, let's see, who came through? Almost everybody on the Republican side. So Ted Cruz came through. John Kasich did not come through. We saw Donald Trump here. We saw Hillary Clinton here. We saw Bernie Sanders here. It was really interesting. Actually, Bernie Sanders is, was a very interesting one because I didn't go into that day knowing I was going to interview him one-on-one. We had been pushing with the campaign to get an interview, and they told us no time after time. But he was going across the state and apparently had blown off one of our reporters in a different market. And so they had pushed back and as a, an apology to make it up to them, they said, well, we'll do an interview with a reporter in Buffalo. Uh, so I walked in, I didn't have a good haircut that day. It still bugs me, but I walked in knowing I was going to cover Bernie Sanders, but didn't know that they were going to usher me into the back room of the, the big gym at UB and give me a five minute one-on-one with him. But it was interesting. Yeah. I would imagine so. I mean, those are kind of those moments that, uh, those unexpected moments that sort of make <laughs> an already sort of bizarre process, even even a little more bizarre, I would imagine. So tell me about what you've done so far. Have you done a lot of stories on the 2020 election yet? I'll be honest with you. I think it's been a little more muted this year, mostly because of the pandemic. It also is muted because the candidates were essentially decided in New York. So we didn't get to see, you know, five, six candidates come through campaigning. I was kind of hoping that the Democratic primary might hold up through the New York primary so we get that, but uh, it didn't turn out that way. So it's been a lot of watching national news and even the local political scene has been a little muted this year because of the pandemic. What races do you guys got going on? We've got a couple state Senate races, a couple assembly races. We've got a, a big congressional race, but I was just talking about it. Got a lot of national attention because it's sort of a, a battleground potential where a Democrat may have been able to beat a Republican. But we had a race two years ago for that seat. We had a special election in the summer. And we're coming up on the third time it's up in you know a matter of two years. And I think people are a little worn out by it. Okay. So, I mean, you know, yes, the, the national race has been pretty pretty tame because of coronavirus, certainly. And the candidates have been chosen. You know, what do you anticipate in the next month or so of, of your coverage? Well, I think we're going to start remembering that there's an election. Yeah, we hit the fall. I'm a big Buffalo Bills fan. I was watching the football game yesterday, and I, I saw a campaign ad and said, oh, yeah. We do have that coming up. You know, I'm a political reporter. If I'm not personally attuned to the fact that we're getting a, an election in a month and a half, I think a lot of the general public isn't thinking about it. So we'll see that. I assume we're going to see some kind of debate at some point. It's crazy to think that we'll probably only have one debate 
in a presidential election, but that's the world we're living in right now. And but I think people will will start to remember there's an election. I think it, it's starting to pick up as as we look at it right now. So did you have much of an opportunity to talk to the populace, sort of, you know, take their temperature, sort of what they're concerned about at the moment? I think you can't overlook the Black Lives Matter movement and what's going on with social justice. I think that decides the election one way or, way or another. In New York, obviously, we're a blue state. Buffalo is always going, almost always going to vote Democrat, and so is New York. But I think you can look at a cityscape like the city of Buffalo and get a temperature for generally what's going on across the country. And there seems to be a real divide over the Black Lives Matter movement. I think that that will be the biggest factor in this election. You think even more so than coronavirus response? I do. I do. I, th- I think personally, I think that people have gotten used to the coronavirus. Is that the right way to say it? But if the election had happened four months ago, I believe the coronavirus response would have been the biggest issue. But I do think it's the Black Lives Matter movement now. It's interesting to see. It depends on who you talk to. And I think this is why it probably doesn't move one party one way or another is who's to blame or who did well, especially living in a state like New York, where if you walk into one household, they'll say that that Governor Cuomo handled this with such a plumb and was really made his name by how he handled the coronavirus. You walk into another house and and he says that Governor Cuomo killed 12,000 people. So there's a real split and I think it remains political there. Do you think that with Black Lives Matter, with COVID, do you think, you know, those are issues that have, they just sort of solidified people in their, their beliefs? Or do you think maybe people are changing their beliefs? I'd like to think that people are very pliable and are changing their beliefs. That's not what I've seen over the last couple of years. Who knows? Maybe people are doing it privately. But if you watch social media, it remains an echo chamber. I think that people who have one set of beliefs, these issues just solidify it for them and vice versa. Well, since you brought up social media, you know, how do you handle social media? How do you use social media in covering your beat? I wish I could avoid it altogether, frankly. Obviously, I can't uh, as a reporter. I have two social medias. That's plenty for me. I use Facebook so that my mom knows I'm still alive. Of course, she watches Spectrum News. And I use Twitter basically as my professional account. So I won't really accept people outside of like my family and friends for Facebook. And on Twitter, that's generally for me posting my stories and occasionally hot takes on the Buffalo Bills. Okay. Do you engage much with people on Twitter? I'd be interested in seeing how you handle it, but I often see comments on Twitter that I'd like to engage with, think about responding to them, ask my wife what she thinks of the response, and she says, don't do it, and then I delete it and walk away. That's probably a very grown-up way to do it. (laughs) Seeing those bear traps is kind of a a skill that we have to have these days. What do they say? You... uh, you never win by coming down to somebody else's level. Yeah. You just become that. Yeah, exactly. Now we talk about spectrum news. You, you do television, but it's also you're writing for the web as well. You know, do you guys post comments? Is there much, you know, feedback that you get on your stories there? We don't, we don't allow people to post comments. Uh, so the only feedback is on the Facebook page. 
I thought it was interesting to see, uh, particularly within New York State of Politics blog and allowed comments, interesting to see what people had to say, but it sort of became this back and forth between the same couple of people in general, and it wasn't really productive. And so the company decided we're, we're not going to move forward with that. If you want to have a conversation in person, that's fine, but people hide behind that anonymity and sometimes post things that you just don't need to see. So... I didn't personally decide this, but I agree with what the company did and removing comments on, on the page. So tell me about New York and early voting. Do they have early voting there? Do they, you know, are they encouraging people to absentee ballot? ballot? <laughs> they do. This is our second year of early voting. It'll be interesting to see how it works out this year. It was not well used during the primary. It was very well used a year before the first time they had it, especially in Erie County. I think generally early voting is getting overshadowed because there's essentially a decision of vote in person or vote by mail. We had a few more Democrats do early voting in 2019. I think based on what I've learned from talking to elections commissioners and, and how our special election worked out, that probably those Democrats are voting by mail instead of going into the polling places. But as we get through the pandemic, it'll be interesting to see. I think it's going to become more normal. We do 10 days of early voting with a day in between the election and the last day of early voting. I think it's gone off pretty harmlessly here in New York. So, you know, you said that this has been an unusual election season. Uh, the, the fact that you have to be reminded that there's election coming on in an ad during a Bills game. You know, would you anticipate that the uh, election night, election day is going to be as different as well? I think this will be the strangest election night of my lifetime. Generally, when we're covering an election, we're sitting there hoping that the ballots will come in quick enough that we're not there until one o'clock in the morning. Uh, we, we're just going in knowing that's not going to be the case this year. With local elections, probably. Although there's a, an opportunity to maybe know on election night based on how much of a landslide the race is. But even as I, as I talked, that, that special election was kind of a trial run for me in the summer. And when that happened, the Republican candidate called it an election night. He was up 30,000 votes. Uh, he ended up winning by, I think, roughly 1%. So... Uh, there's there was such movement with all of the absentee ballots. I believe there are more absentee ballots in that race than there was people who voted in person. So I'm just getting ready to not know on election night, regardless of uh, what's said, what's called. Uh, you know, we if you watch CNN, you see them calling races well before the polls are closed, well before the the results are in, because of the exit polling, but I don't know how you do exit polling when you're, you're dealing with a record number of absentee ballots. So I expect that we won't know on election night what's happened with the presidential race. And frankly, I expect litigation because with everything that's set up already, with, with the absentee ballots and vote by mail, with President Trump saying that he believes that that's a tainted process, I just, I do expect litigation, which brings the Supreme Court and what's going on with the death of Rick Bader Ginsburg even more into the forefront in the next month or so. 
Yeah, certainly. So, you know, election night's going to be what it's going to be, but you, do you have thoughts about what you're going to do during election day? Are you going to go to the polls? I mean, the usual stuff where you hang outside the polls and ask people questions. Do you think it's even worthwhile? You know, I don't think so. I typically am following the, the candidates around on election day and we'll, we'll send a reporter, a photographer to go, you know, get generic stuff at the polls, get some video. I expect, I honestly don't know. I expect I'll be at home kind of watching stuff from my phone and doing live hits in front of uh, my big TV screen that they set up here for me. But I honestly don't know. I did go out to an election night party during that special election. They didn't let us inside. We stood outside and I texted people and said, please come out and talk to us. And eventually they, they brought us in uh, once they felt that they had won that election. So yeah, a month out, I can't tell you what we're doing on election night. That'll essentially be up to my bosses, but I think it'll be much different than we've dealt with in previous years. Yeah, I, I think you're, I think you're right. Every indication, I mean, certainly the year has been strange, period. And from the political angle, it's, it seems all so up in the air and uncertain. You know, it used to be elections sort of followed a pattern. You cover them a certain way, but now all those rules seem sort of out out the door and now we're going to just deal with with whatever this is going to be do you have any advice to to maybe some reporters who this very strange election is going to be their first election could you imagine if this was your first election it'd be so hard to figure out uh, what you're doing and, and what you'll be doing moving forward and i don't know how much things will change permanently but i would say go in not expecting to make calls. The worst thing you can do as a journalist is, is say something definitively that doesn't end up being true, right? So election night, you, you tend to want to make those calls. So even if someone is saying that they won an election, you may want to hedge that, let people know that they're saying they won the election, but there are more absentee ballots out than people that voted in person, you know? Just go in knowing the scenario is the best thing you can do because this election is going to be so much different than anything anybody else has ever dealt with before. I would say if you are planning on saying something definitive on election night, you're probably wrong. But even if you're not, you may want to be careful. Yeah. Imagine imagine those um, those national news coverage, <laughs> election night coverage, how strange that's going to be. They're just spending hours after hours not calling anything. That's their game they make their hay on calling the election quicker than the other network, right? So for them on election night, are they going to not do that? Or are they going to do it and try to make news out of that on election night? It'll be really interesting to watch those. Are they basing things off of exit polls? Have they exit polled people who have cast their absentee ballot? Are there going to be more absentee ballots than people that vote in person? Probably not, but in New York, we've seen it. Yeah, we had lines the first day of early voting here already. What's it going to be? I guess we can sum this up is a great deal of uncertainty about this already confusing and uncertain certain process. Yeah, I wish I had more answers for you, but uh, that's what I do. I go on and never say anything definitively, and I, I attribute everything that I do say definitively to somebody else. I think that's uh, all of your reporters that come on here, hopefully. But yeah, it'll be bizarre. I fully expect to do a lot of it from home. I have been doing a lot of it from home. 
I was lucky enough to get the test run and we'll see what happens in November. But I think that we're going to be focusing less on down ballot races, less on state politics and congressional races. And this will probably come down to the presidential because I just don't think people have the the appetite to get all the information on these other races. Now, it's our job to let them know what's going on. There's so much going on, it's hard to follow it all. Yeah, I agree. Ryan, thanks for coming on the podcast. It was nice to sort of air these uncertainties and, and sort of talk through what we're going to be dealing with in the next month or so. Hopefully things are going to be better than they seem like they're going to be, but you never know. We're resilient people. We seem to find our way through all of this. It provides a level of uncertainty, and I think people get concerned because we're doing something new, but eventually we always seem to figure it out. So, Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Michael. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.